Um, we're starting a new series today, and the, se the series is titled um, The Armor of God, right? The Armor of God. And I mean, you, if you, I, if you ever attended um, Sunday school, like children's church, you probably already know where we're headed to. Or if you've been in church for a while, you probably already know where we're headed to. But we want to really look at this concept deeply and see what God has in store for us, all right? Um, so our anchor text is Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to read from verse 10 um, through to verse 18, all right? Ephesians, so our anchor text for this series and for today, of course, is Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 to 18. However, we're going to do something today, and I think I still want to do it in maybe three minutes before we continue, right? Um, I just wanted to, by way of reminder, um, ask us what we learned last week. So for those, those of us that were around, what did you learn? And if possible, how did you apply it? Um, but if there was no, um, uh, what's it called, direct application, that's fine. But just by way of reminder, what did you learn last week? Um, and also to help those of us that were not here um, for last week's Bible study. All right, so the floor is open both on Mixeller and on Zoom. What did you learn last week? Um, as you as a person now, just maybe one thing that stuck out for you, you know, what was that thing? And then if you applied it, also how was the application? But if you didn't apply it, that's fine. Like, there's no direct application, that's all right. But just basically, what did you learn last week before we dive into today? Um, take one or two people. Mixeller, those of us on Mixeller, please type in your, your response and I'll just read it out to all of us. Okay, so what I wanted to say is, hi, my name is Evelyn. Um, so I remember learning that um, if I'm not feeding my spirit and I'm feeding my flesh something around that I think and um that stayed with me so it made me conscious of basically everything I was doing whether this was amplifying my spirit and feeding me the right way or if or if this was instead amplifying my flesh basically made me conscious of the kind of things I was doing watching reading listening to and stuff like that mm. I'm not quite sure that that's exactly how you put it last week but yeah something along those lines yeah oh yeah that's fine that's fine perfect yeah. um so yeah thank you very much for that so if you're not feeding your spirit you are feeding your flesh and if you're not feeding your flesh then you are feeding your spirit all right so that's awesome thank you Anyone else wants to share what they learned, one thing they learned last week? Anyone? Uh, Mixeller, I haven't seen. Okay, I think there's a comment. Okay, good. So Idara says on Mixeller what she learned last week, do not be tempted to imitate the fruits you see in other people. To be able to manifest that which God has spoken, we have to stay rooted in Christ. Awesome. Let me read that again. So it says, uh, she says, do not be tempted to imitate the fruits you see in other people. To be able to man manifest that which God has spoken, we have to stay rooted in Christ. Thank you very much, Idara. All right, so that's great. I just want to make sure that 
you know, we remember um, what we learned last week and also, and, and, you know, I found out that in a, in a, and this is true even for me, like in a teaching ses session or in a message or something, it's usually not every single thing I remember, right? But there's usually portions of the teaching that um, stick to me, you know, for, for a couple of days or weeks or even months. And the, the, the right practice is to absorb, internalize that aspect. So meditate on what sticks to you. That may be God's emphasis for you from you know, that teaching. All right, so thank you everyone. So we'll continue today. Like I said, um, our title, the title of our series is The Armor of God. And our anchor text is Ephesians chapter six from verse 10 to verse 18. Um, I know someone might be already thinking that why don't I have slides? Um, we will resume our slides by, from next week, you know, by God's grace. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to wrap up on my side. So we'll continue, I mean, we'll resume displaying slides um, from next week. So just bear with seeing my face, all right? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I'm going to read, um, I'm reading from the King James Version. Now for this study, I... Because it's a very popular scripture and there's a tendency for us to skim over certain um, hidden truths. So I'm going to take, our we are going to take our time to look at it verse by verse. And um, over this series, look at the practical application of the, uh, the, um, the armor of God, right? What, is, what was listed in this context? So what does the belt of truth mean? What does the helmet of salvation represent? And you know, all of that. So let's commence reading Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So this was Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And I'll just read everything and come back to break it down. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, finally, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Hallelujah. Okay, so and like I said earlier, this is, for many of us, this is, this is a very common um, passage of scripture. So I want to, us to break it down. And I really would love to hear your responses and um, hear your thoughts on this. You know, so I'm, I'm, we're going to have a lot of discussion today. But I want to start, first of all, with a bit of background that um, Paul in verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
in fact, a translation says it this way, says in conclusion, right? Um, my final words to you. And you know, the idea here is that imagine a, a, a man that was, you know, that's lived old and he's, he knows he's close to his time of death, right? And then he calls all his children together and says so many things to them. And he eventually now says, finally, you must never forget this. What he suggests to you is that the next things is about, next set of things he's about to say are very important. And so in that way, Paul begins to say, finally. And just for the record, Ephesians only has, um, there's, no, there's no second Ephesians. It's only one, one letter or one epistle he wrote um, to, the, uh, to the church at Ephesus. So it suggests to us that he tried to fit in everything that he wanted to tell them. And of all things, he, he began to say, finally. Um, meaning after taking everything that I've said previously, tied up with this last set of truth I'm about to present to you. What that means is that this, this information is super important, okay? And just a background about the Ephesian church, and you would, you would do well to read, um, read Acts chapter 19 to just give you a, a, a good insight as to the origin <clears throat> to the origin of the church in Ephesus, all right? So Paul came to the city of Ephesus and he met 12 disciples, right? And this story is found in Acts chapter 19, right? He met 12 disciples who were who only knew the baptism of John. And Paul asked them that, that then what, what baptism were you baptizing to? They said, oh, only the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was a baptism to repentance, and that was the only thing they knew. And the reason why that was the only thing they knew was because the person who was who taught them at that point before Paul came also only knew the baptism of John, and that is Apollos, all right? So these disciples only knew up to the baptism of John. Then John, um, um, Paul rather, now asked them and said, have you heard of the, um, um, how about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know. We didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost at all. And so Paul explained to them, laid hands on them, that God baptized with the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Paul began to attempt to teach in the synagogues, but because there was a lot of resistance, and, and I will show you later in the story how that this resistance <coughs> was highly demonic, okay? But there was a lot of resistance and contention um, to the message that Paul was bringing. So what Paul did was that he left the teaching teaching in the synagogue, took the disciples that already believed and went to a, another place, another location and began to teach them. And he continued to teach them and he continued for two years. And the Bible says that the word of God spread all through Asia. Now, after um, um, teaching for that period, you know, um, people began to, contention began to come about and, and, and in fact, before that, the Bible says that, before this contention, the Bible says that God began to write mighty signs through the hands of Paul, right? And then what happened next was some, the seven sons of Skiphard, some people, you know, tried to, they saw that, I mean, Paul and disciples could cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And they, these guys, even though they, didn't, they were not believers, they, they, they thought the name of Jesus was another um, what was another tool to use in exorcism. And this shows you the term, the um, climate of the church of, of Ephesus at that time. It was highly infested with demonic activities from the worship of Diana God to the atrocities committed at the temple to exorcism and spirit, um, spiritist or spirit, spiritualism you know, that is outside of God. 
So Ephesus was a highly dense spiritual atmosphere. And you, I, I'm, I'm giving us this knowledge because it will, it will give us a good understanding as to why Paul had to tell the believers to be guarded with the armor of God. So Ephesus was exposed to a lot of spirit, spiritualism, all right, but not necessarily um, from God. And so these people practice exorcism and they tried to use the name of Jesus as a new tool. You know, it's almost like, um, like um, so for instance, I am a product designer and there are several tools for product design, okay? And tomorrow a new tool may come up that probably solves some of the problems of the existing tools and people will naturally gravitate towards it. But, and that was the way these people treated the name of Jesus as a new tool in the market that, oh, look at, look at these Christians. When they call the name of Jesus, the spirit just goes, we need to call, we need to go and find out that tool. And these guys use the name of Jesus as a tool without having a relationship with Jesus. And we know what happened. The demon, the demon spirit beat the hell out of these seven sons. And because of that event, every other person in that vicinity was afraid of, I mean, revered Christianity, okay? And because of that, Christianity exploded. Now, later down the line, one guy came up called Demetrius, came up and began to challenge, you know, challenge them and, and stirred up other people um, to an uproar to say that Christianity and, and Paul, you know, who was their leader then, was trying to sway people away from the worship of Diana and then, you know, all of that, Paul had to escape for his life. Now, I said, I'll oh, give this background story to show you that the church of Ephesus was exposed to a lot of spiritualism, a lot of spiritual activity. So when Paul was instructing them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind, he had this um, at the back of his heart. You know, he had this at the back of his mind <clears throat> when he was instructing these people to be strong. And he gave them the method by which you'll be strong in the Lord. So we are still in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, before we proceed, let me just state here that Paul says be strong in the Lord, meaning the effectiveness of, of whatever he was going to explain later on can only be found in the Lord, all right? And the strength we are to draw from is found in the Lord, okay? And what that means is, our, by our constant fellowship, we're able to draw strength from the Lord himself. Now, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, <clears throat> put on the whole armor of God. Now, I want to stop there for a bit, that Paul's um, suggestion or instructions to them was to put on the whole armor of God. When I read this recently, what caught my verse was the, was the fact he said the whole armor meaning it's possible to use part of the armor and not everything. It is possible to use half of the armor, right, and not everything. But Paul categorically and emphatically said, put on the whole armor of God. And the danger of, of not putting on the whole armor of God is, because, is that when the attack of the enemy comes, <clears throat> um, the devil will go for your most vulnerable vulnerable part or your exposed part, <clears throat> all right, that when attack comes, the enemy looks for the parts that you have opened up and you are not, you have not protected. That's why the Bible says that 
we should not give a foothold to the enemy, all right? Meaning don't give the enemy an inch to occupy in your life. It's the same way the Bible says, put on the full armor of God. And there's a reason why we have to put on the full armor of God. And that is because any exposed part, the enemy will take advantage of to launch an attack on your life or on our lives as believers. Now, there's something I want to say also before I move on. And that's the fact that um, what we're looking at is the armor of God. And even if we are not in the Roman Empire days, which, which was in the dispensation that Paul wrote this scripture, but just the idea of a soldier, right, comes to mind. So when you hear armor, you are not thinking of a dinner dress or a tuxedo or something fancy you wear to the office. When you hear armor, what comes to your mind is a military outfit. And a military outfit is functional. It's not aesthetic. <laughs> a military outfit is first and foremost functional. Um, I mean, it may look pretty to you, but every single piece has its uh, purpose. And what that automatically suggests to us is that we're in a battlefield. You know, a lot of times believers are tempted to ignore the fact that they're in a battlefield. <clears throat> and no matter how prosperous you get, whether materially or otherwise, no matter how prosperous you get, never forget that you're in a battlefield. No matter the elevation you experience, never forget you're in a battlefield. Um, no matter how comfortable you, you know, life may seem around you, never forget you're in a battlefield. In fact, the Bible says that woe to those who are complacent in Zion, <clears throat> meaning woe to those who are at ease, woe to those who are who have let down their guards. And, I, I, and a lot of Christians have, <clears throat> have let down their guards. You know, maybe a breakthrough came, probably a breakthrough for a job or for, for marriage or for business or for family or whatever it is, a breakthrough came in an area. And all of a sudden, you just, like they say, you lose guard. You just drop down your defenses. <clears throat> the Bible says that we should take on the armor. And the reason why we're taking on an armor is solely because we're in a battlefield. So let this be a reminder to every one of us that um, we're in a battlefield. There's no, there's no nicer way to, to put this, that we're constantly <clears throat> in a battlefield. And the Bible refers to the enemy as our adversary. So it's, we're not ignorant of who we are, who, who we are fighting. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're not ignorant of who we are fighting. We are aware of who we are fighting. And we are constantly in a battlefield. And somebody may say, well... I'm not going to do any, you know, all these people who's fire brigade prayer, I'm not going to pray against the devil. I'll just want to live my life normally, not, not do anything at all. Just, just so that I'll stay out of the devil's target, so that the devil won't target me and I'll be all right. Let me surprise you that there is no neutral, neutral ground. <clears throat> the moment you are not serving the devil, you are automatically against him. And even if you try to play safe, right? you only fall a victim of his arsenal because there's nothing like playing safe in the battlefield. In the battlefield, there is no neutral ground. <clears throat> there is no spectator. The spectator always becomes a victim. And, and, and they have a military term for it. They call it um, collateral damage. So you claiming to be neutral in this battlefield automatically signs you up as a victim of collateral damage. So you are either on the offensive or on the defensive. You cannot be neutral <clears throat> in this battle. All right, so we're in a battlefield, and I think I'll just that's something I just want. I want to start off by reminding us, and let me read two scriptures quickly 
that suggests to us we're in a battlefield. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three to five. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three to verse five. So it says, um, thou therefore endure hardness as a good, <coughs> as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man, no man that worried, sorry, no man that worried entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. So the Bible says that, the Bible refers to us as soldiers and says that every soldier doesn't, no soldier lives like a civilian. You are, you are not careless, you are not oblivious of, the, of your responsibility as a soldier, neither are you oblivious of the attack of the enemy. So this clearly lets us know that we are um, we're in a battlefield. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 lets us know that um, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, so the pulling down of strongholds and all of that. But it says the weapons of our warfare. So there is a warfare that we are constantly in. And Paul gave this, um, wrote this part of the letter to show us how to approach that warfare, to show us how to, to be prepared for when the attack, you know, comes to us, all right? So first thing here is that we are in a battlefield. All right. So um, when a battlefield, number one, number two is that, like I was saying, put on the whole armor of God. And let me just go about what I said, that if you put on, just, just imagine that a warrior goes to fight and the only thing he has is his helmet. He doesn't have a shield, doesn't have a sword. As much as the helmet protects the head, every other part of the body is vulnerable, all right? And an attack on the heart will immediately destroy the warrior. An attack on the hand or the leg would incapacitate the warrior and make him very um, extra vulnerable to absolute defeat. <clears throat> so Paul is saying we should put on the whole armor of God. And it is very true that currently a lot of believers don't have the whole armor of God. They have a part of it, you know, they have the breastplate of righteousness, <clears throat> but they don't have the sword of the spirit. Some have the um, the, their, their feet, you know, shorted with the gospel of, of peace, but they don't have the shield of faith. Some have the helmet of salvation, but there's no breastplate of righteousness. And every exposed part of your helmet, of your armor, right, makes you vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So what we want to do in this study is go through, go through the various um, things listed in this armor, and see what their practical application is in our lives. Of course, we're not talking about wearing, putting on the fiscal armor, you know, in that sense, but what does it mean when we say the breastplate of righteousness or the sword of the spirit and, and all of that? <clears throat> want to see that application in our life, all right? So that is the second thing I want to point out. And today's study is pretty much just an introduction. And from next week, we'll be dive in deeply to see, you know, one-on-one -on -one what it looks like. All right, so the next thing I want to point out is still in that verse, uh, where are we now, verse 11. Ephesians chapter six and verse <clears throat> 11. So it says, put on the whole armor of God. The reason is so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, when I, one time I read the scripture and I looked at the word wiles, and it's, it, it dawned on me that, 
it dawned on me that what we're fighting against predominantly is the wiles of the enemy. And what does wiles mean? I mean, um, that this is King James Version. So uh, let's read another translation to, get, to break it down for us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse, um, we're in verse 11. So Ephesians chapter 6, if you are on Zoom and you have another translation, please read for us. If you're on Zoom and you have another translation other than the King James, please read verse 11 for us. <clears throat> okay, let me read the Passion Translation. It says, put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. So what, I mean, the word while simply means strategies or deception or methods or cunningness of the enemy. And this is very instructive because, and I like the way TPT says, it says so that you'll be protected as you fight against the evil strategies. <laughs> what this scripture suggests to us is that the predominant method of attack for the enemy is deceit. So deception is one of the greatest weapons in the hands of in the hand of the enemy. It's one of his greatest tools. And so um, Apostle Paul here was saying, put on the whole armor of God so that no matter the angle of deception that the enemy comes from, you'll be protected against it. You understand that? No matter the angle of deception, no matter what part of your body, right? No matter what part of your, of your um, spirit man that the enemy comes from, you'll be protected against the deception that is targeted at that part of your spirit man. Do you understand that? So what this means is that the enemy, the enemy has, the enemy has um, targets, de target deception aimed at various parts of your spirit man. So there's a deception that is aimed against your heart. <clears throat> there's a deception that is aimed against your faith. There's a deception that is aimed against your righteousness. There's a deception that is aimed against your salvation. There's deception against every part of your spirit man. What Paul is saying that you should take on the complete armor of God so that no matter the angle of deception the enemy tries to come from, you are protected against it. Hallelujah. So, and, and to, to explain this point, I want to give us two examples just to show us that um, deception is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says that we are not unaware of the schemings or the devices of the enemy. So, so we are, as believers, we are not oblivious of the fact that he uses deception and that has been his method from the beginning. In fact, Jesus Christ said that he is the father of lies. Lies means deception. And anybody that lies, and whenever he lies, rather, he just speaks his native language. So the default mannerism of the enemy is deception, is lies. And he has not changed. He is the same as he has been right from Genesis. That every time he attacks the believer, he comes in a form of deception. So the full armor of God protects us from these various attacks of the enemy and the various deceptions and the manipulations that the enemy introduces in our work with God. <clears throat> All right. So I want to give us two examples just to show us evidence that the enemy's greatest strategy is deception. The reason is because the devil knows that on his own, 
right? If he comes out against you, you would recognize that he's the one and you rebel against, rebel against him. So what he, <coughs> what he endeavors to do is to come in a way that you don't recognize it is him so that by an act of your will, you open up the door to him. And once you have given him a legal ground, he then has the right to, um, to if, uh, influence your life and to you know, bring about havoc. So number one deception is, excuse me. <coughs> number one example rather of deception of the enemy is found in Genesis chapter three, verse one to five. Um, you, you can read that when you want to, but just Genesis chapter one, verse three to five, the story of how um, the, the serpent deceived Eve, all right? And think about this. The enemy wanted to gain dominion over the world. And he would have, at this point, he already had his fallen angels and all of those ones with him. Why did he come with a band of, a band of the army of, of his, of his um, legions, you know, and come to fight against Adam and Eve? He didn't do that. He could have come and wage warfare against them. But no, he said he didn't do that. He came subtly. He used the serpent as his um, means of sub subtlety. And he brought deception and he began to speak to the woman and said, you know, did God say you shouldn't eat this? Um, but why not try this? It will open your eyes. You'll be like God. And he brought deception. <clears throat> and because this woman was not furnished, and, and by my estimation, judging from what Paul um, listed out here, she was not furnished with the belt of truth, right? And we're going to explain this further down. But just to give us, um, I guess, uh, what they call this now? Um, spoiler alert, yes. She wasn't punished with that truth, so she couldn't resist the enemy appropriately. <clears throat> All right? <clears throat> and so the devil succe succeeded in his attempt, um, succeeded in that mission to deceive, you know, the woman. And that whole authority that God gave mankind was wielded to the enemy because the enemy succeeded in his deception. He did not come aggressively to fight. He did not come with, you know, demonic attack against the woman or come to press her in her dreams or anything like that. He came through deception. And let me just say this to us, that the greatest attack you would ever face from the devil would always be the, the attack of deception. It will not be the attack of, um, of stagnation <coughs> or the attack of um, um, attack on your life or anything like that. No, the greatest attack will always be the attack of deception. If the devil cannot lure you into deception, then he cannot get you, all right? And that's why we need to look closely at the armor of God and see how we can protect us, ourselves against the, the wiles of the devil, the strategies of the devil, the deception of the devil. So that was, the, um, that was one example, and he succeeded in that one. Fast forward several years later, when Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to undo the effects of the, of the deception that occurred in the garden, <laughs> Jesus Christ was led to the wilderness to, to be tempted of the enemy, right? And then we began to see the temptation play out. And the devil came again with his normal strategy, deception. And he said to Jesus, you know, if you are the son of man, if you are the son of God rather, why don't you just tell these stones to turn to bread? You are hungry. You've been, you fasted. <coughs> you fasted. You are hungry. 
why would you have to wait to go and go to the city? Remember, he was in the wilderness now. So why would you have to wait to go to the city to buy bread? Just turn this stone to bread and eat. And he came with a, we came with deception. And thank God Jesus Christ was furnished with truth because every of his response was, the word says, was it is written. And it is written <clears throat> was the representation of the truth that Jesus Christ was furnished with. <clears throat> and it was this, it was the absence of this truth that Eve did not have when the enemy came. All right. So when the enemy came to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said to him, it was written. Then he said, okay, um, jump down from this high cliff. Jesus Christ responded again, it was written. He now said again, um, okay, you know what? Just bow down and worship me. Then everything you are, you are struggling for, instead of them killing you on the cross and you being a disgrace and embarrassment, I will give it to you. Just all you need to do is to worship me. <clears throat> and Jesus still re replied, it is written. So these two examples show us that the greatest, and, and these two moments were very, very pivotal to humanity, all right? The first one launched us into, into sin and death. The second experience was to deter us from the salvation that God was bringing through Jesus Christ. But thank God Jesus was armed with the truth of God. So again, I, I gave you two examples to say to us that deception is the greatest strategy of the devil. And the armor of God is to guide, is to protect us from the wiles of the devil, from the strategies of deception <coughs> that the enemy may bring. All right. Okay, so let's proceed then. Um, verse, where are we now? We are in verse 12. All right. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 12. Okay, before I continue, please let me know if you're following so far. <clears throat> on Mixlr and on Zoom. If we're together, you can drop a comment, drop a thumbs up. Uh, just let me know we're together. <clears throat> Are we together? Mixlr and Zoom, just let me know. Drop your comments somewhere. Okay, thank you. I see thumbs up from Brother Nonso. Thank you. Anyone else? Are we together so far? <clears throat> Okay, thumbs up, thumbs up from Evelyn. Thank you. Um, on, people on Mixella, please do let me know um, if we are all together. All right, if you can hear me clearly and we're following. All right, I see your comment. Thumbs up, Ida. We're together. Joy. Okay, great. Perfect. So let's continue. <clears throat> so we're in verse 12, okay? Um, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So I am intentionally going to skip over this part just because it's, it will lead us into like an entire deep conversation, you know, talking about the... Um, um, demonic rankings and, and, you know, principalities and all of that. So I'm going to skip this part intentionally and move to verse, <clears throat> move to verse 13. Now look at what verse 13 says. It says, wherefore, or, or therefore, take unto you the whole armor. Again, Paul is emphasizing the whole armor, not, not partial, not half of the armor, but the entire thing. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, 
to stand. So Paul is saying that <coughs> take the whole, <coughs> excuse me, take the whole armor of God so that you can withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day in this context? The evil day represents the day in which the temptation or the attack of the enemy will come. Now, the devil doesn't um, give a forewarning, right? And to say, for instance, um, Brother Nonso, I'm going to attack you on the um, 17th of February, 2022. So get prepared. No, the devil doesn't give a warning. In fact, when you read <clears throat> the temptation of Jesus, right? The Bible says that the devil enemy departed from him for, for a while, right? Meaning that the enemy left him, but was surely going to come back. And we see that the enemy came back again to, I mean, came back to, to, the, to, the devil, to Jesus Christ rather in a different way and at a later time, but without forewarning. <clears throat> so the evil day here represents the day in which the attack of the enemy would come, but you are not aware of. And let me say this one more time, that the, when the attack of the enemy comes, it usually would not come in a very obvious manner. You know, for instance, if someone has a bad dream and he feels, he feels oppressed in a dream, that is an obvious attack. It's so clear to the enemy. But when the, that person goes to work and somebody in the office says something that hurts him, right, and he is offended by it, and the temptation to harbor um, guilt and uh, malice is there, or rather, sorry, harbor, harbor, strife, harbor strife and malice is there, that person may not consider that experience as an attack from the enemy. And that is an attack from the enemy. It's a deception. So what I'm saying is when the evil day comes, you may not know that it is the evil day. And that's why the Bible says, having done all to stand, because you do not know when the evil day would come. <clears throat> all right. So let me verse, so, um, verse 13 again. Um, Wherefore, take upon you the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day <clears throat> and having done all to stand. Now, there's something I want to explain here that is very critical, and I may end on this particular note, all right? Um, I may end on this particular note so we can have a conversation. But there's something Paul says here. <clears throat> he says, having done all to stand. So Paul instructs the believer that we ought to stand. And that concept of standing um, is very important for us, all right? But before, to explain that, I need to explain um, something else or two more things before we get to that. Now, for a believer, there are, there are three dispositions, our, there are three positions or dispositions we take as believers. Number one, we sit. Number two, we walk. And number three, we stand. And I'm going to explain this, you know, briefly. So basically, we sit, we walk and we stand. Remember Psalm 1 says, let me just make a detour to that. Um, Psalm 1 verse 1, you know, if you were a church boy like me, you would, you would have crammed the scripture several times. But let me read it, you know, directly from the scripture. <clears throat> Psalm 1 verse 1, it says, um, in a minute, it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we see standing, we see walking, we see sitting. And <clears throat> these are prophetic representations of our disposition in Christ Jesus or in, in the Christian faith. All right, so quickly, what does sitting mean? And I'm taking this in the, in the 
in the required order, all right, or in the order in which we should experience it, all right? Number one is that as Christians, we sit, okay? What does sitting mean? Sitting means we are resting in the finished works of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so one of the first things every believer must know as they become Christians or as they become believers is that they must know that they are in a seated position in Christ. When we come to Christ, we must first and foremost sit. Sitting here means first and foremost, resting in what he has done for us. Just the same way when you sit on a chair, all your weight is on the chair, <clears throat> all right? In fact, some of your office chairs, you know, um, can swing around, you know, has tires, you can roll on it and play around. You, there's minimum effort in doing that. Though all your weight is, is, um, is being borne by the chair you're sitting on. That is what it means to sit in Christ where we are resting in his finished works. We are resting in all that he has done for us. We are not trying to do anything on our own at this stage. We are just accepting all he has done, <coughs> accepting all he has done for us, and we are resting in it, okay? And it's a, and, and as many of us already have very comfortable chairs <coughs> in our homes or in our offices or wherever we are, so also is it what to rest and be comforted in the works that Jesus Christ has done for us. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 5, right? Um, I will just read that quickly, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. It tells us that um, even though we're dead in our um, sins, um, we have been quickened with Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says, even when we're dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So the first thing God did when he raised us up was that he made us sit. Meaning that the first thing you do as a Christian, right? And one of the first set of revelation you must be acquainted with is the revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you don't, without this revelation, your Christian journey would be, uh, would be faulty. I know that there, <laughs> there are a lot of Christians who get saved and immediately they are beginning to engage in warfare you will have a fractured experience because you don't yet know how to sit, okay? Because if you are not seated and if you, are not, if you haven't rested in what God has done for you, when you see attack, you doubt the conviction of God's love for you. When opposition comes from the enemy, you would question whether God loves you or not because you are not fully rested in his love. You are not yet fully rested in what he has done for you, all right? And this explains to us why the Bible says that God created man on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, God rested, meaning that man's first day was God's rest day. So the first day man was conscious, there was no more work for him to do. He entered into the rest of God. And this is prophetic of our experience in Jesus Christ as well. <clears throat> that if when we come to Christ, the first thing we should do is to sit, get acquainted with the work that he has done for us. He has finished the work and we all need to enter into it, all right? So this is the first disposition we should take as, as um, believers. First and foremost is that we should, we should sit, okay? Now, ha having seated with um, God, right? We seated together in heavenly places. The next thing we begin to do is that we walk, all right? So you sit, next thing you do is you walk. What does walking represent? <clears throat> walking represents, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> walking represents 
uh, or refers to our conduct and our lifestyle here on earth. All right. And let me read Galatians uh, chapter five. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter chapter five, verse six. And we treated this last year. We talked about you know walking walking in the spirit. But I just want to read out. It says this: I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. So here in Galatians, Paul begins to encourage, admonish the people to walk in the spirit. And I, I can't go into details to explain why, how I arrived at the fact that this refers to our conduct, but um, please just believe me or, or we'll do a Bible study on this like much later. But walking here refers to our conduct. And, and let me just chip in something, that when he begins to talk about walking in the spirit, right, then he begins to talk about the fruit of the spirit. And if you check out the fruit of the spirit, Everything has to do with our disposition on earth, our character, our mannerisms, the way we treat people, the way we interact with the world, the way we interact with our friends and family and all of that. So that is our conduct. That is what walking refers to, okay? So we sit, right, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but we walk according to the nature that God has made us. So we have been given the nature of eternal life, all right? So when we walk, we are walking that means our conduct is in, is in um, consistency with the nature that we have received. So that's why Paul could say in Ephesians that um, he who steals should steal no longer, you know, but should work with his hands and all of that. That means your action should reflect the nature that you have received from God. And that is working. Okay. And there are several scriptures. I'm not sure I can read all of them, uh, but I'll just read one. Ephesians chapter 5 verse um. 15 and 16. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, that is, walk rightfully or walk wisely, okay? Not as fools, but be wise. It says, redeem the time for the days are evil. So, walking here represents our conduct in life. So, the first disposition, the first position we take as believers is that we sit. <clears throat> the second position we take is that we walk. And then the third position, which is where our focus is for this um, series, the third position is that we stand. Now, standing here refers to warfare. Now, however, before you get to the point of warfare, you should first know how to sit and how to walk before you get to warfare. Why is that? Because, um, like I already explained that, first of all, if you do not know how to sit, you would you would run when you see warfare. You know, you would doubt the conviction of God, doubt your convictions, right? You doubt the love of God. You doubt the faithfulness of God when you see oppositions from the devil. In fact, the Bible says that one of the reasons why um, God didn't take the Israelites um, through a particular route <coughs> was because that these people were not yet prepared. If you are taking them through that route, if they see warfare, their hearts would have fainted and they'll probably would have run back to Egypt. So many times believers haven't learned how to sit or how to walk before they begin to engage in warfare. And why is it important to know how to walk? You know, that's your, your conduct in life, like learning how your conduct is, how your conduct influences spiritual warfare. It's because, you know, when we come to God and my pastor said it this way, <clears throat> now when you come to resist the devil, it is not just the blood of, it's not just the sacrifice of Jesus alone that comes into play when you come to resist the devil. 
but also the accuracy of your work with God comes into play. That is why the, the, the demons in that, in that man could say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Meaning, we of course know Jesus as the son of God. We know Paul because his life is in alignment with Jesus. But when we investigate your life, even though you are calling the name of Jesus, we don't see you in alignment with that name. And that is why our conduct as Christians is super important. It is a currency in the realm of the spirit. And it is impossible for someone who lives in sin and someone who, who doesn't value the government of God to be impactful in spiritual warfare. You have no place. You'll be treated as, you, you, you know, you'll be praying and, and kabashing, but it will be empty in the realm of the spirit. All right, so your conduct, your work with God um, contributes to the strength of your spiritual warfare, all right? So now go, uh, we're back to Ephesians, right? And so Paul says, having done all to stand. So Paul is saying, everything we're doing, we're doing it so that we can stand. We can stand our ground and resist the devil when he comes with his various um, deceptions, all right? <laughs> so I'm going to stop here for today. Um, I, like I said, this is just an introduction. Um, we're trust, by, by next week, um, just give me a minute. Next week is, I need to confirm if next week is the last Tuesday. Oh, okay. So next week is the last Tuesday. Um, so we would have prayer meeting, right? But we'll continue from the 1st of February, which is um, first Tuesday in, in, in February, all right? So next week, I will continue this the next time we have like typical Bible study. Um, but next week is prayer meeting. Anyway, so I hope you've learned a thing or two. I, I might have been fast, but I hope you learned a thing or two. Um, so we'll take questions really on this. But just for take questions, right? Let me just state out here that we have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. So six things Paul listed out here. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals or the shoes, shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. All right, so we're going to pick up from this on the 1st of February, just because next Saturday, sorry, next Tuesday, I beg your pardon, is our prayer meeting. But I would love to hear your questions at this point. I would love to hear your contributions. I would love to hear what you think about the, you know, armor of God and um, hear your thoughts. All right. So the floor is open. Um, those of us on Mixeller can type in our, you know, our questions or comments, and I'll just read that out for everyone. If you're on Zoom, just go ahead and speak. And um, we are listening to you. Do we, does anyone have any questions so far? Anything I explained that's, that wasn't quite clear or it was a bit technical or you didn't quite understand? You know, you can go ahead and ask your question now. Um, or if you, if there was something that really stood out for you, you know what we call light bulb moments um, during the study, please let's share with us, let's know. You know, what you, what stood out for you? I saw might have missed it. All right, so the floor is open. Please go ahead. So are we saying there is no question so far? If there is no question, then I would love to hear what you learned today. Um, I could take like four people. Um, just one thing you learned so far from 
you know, all the rants from today. All right. So let me tell, tell me one thing you learned today. Something that stood out for you. So I, I think for me, it's the very first time I'm hearing this um, sit stand analogy. Or, or, or will I say a um, revelation from the word? Because um, and I know I've heard that scripture in all, you know, you do stand, stand, you know, and I never quite thought about it as warfare, as you said. And um, yeah, I think I'm still, <laughs> well, I say sort of, you were very fast. So I'm still sort of like, still trying to <laughs> really get everything that you were saying. Um, Sorry, my brain is now getting foggy, Victor. Quick reminder, like sit, stand, and walk. walk. Yeah. So is walking warfare or standing? No, standing is warfare. Walking. Okay, so I'm right. Okay, I heard that right. Okay, so right. walking is what? Walking is your conduct, your, the way you um, need it, yeah. Okay, so sit, walk, then stand, right? Okay, perfect. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay so i'm listening um and i'm learning i'll, I'll just i'll just say that so everything i I, th I think everything you've said is sort of fresh for me like from that revelation point of view so yeah okay awesome um yeah i i and again apologies that i will run through this fast um maybe we'll, we'll go by it again the next bible study just to break it down a bit but but yeah so seats walking and standing Thank you. Thank you for that. And as we do, we'll have this on our podcast channel. So you can always um, go over it um, as many times as you want to. Thank you, Evelyn. Um, someone on, on MixLR, <clears throat> someone on MixLR asked a question. Okay, before I take the question, let me just read someone else's comment. All right, so Ida on MixLR says, every exposed part of your armor makes you vulnerable to the enemy. Uh, we have to put on the whole armor. Thank you very much um, for that, Idara. Um, on so on Mixelar again, a question from um, Bro Silas says, "What do you do when you are standing on God's promises and things seem not to be adding up? What do you do?" <laughs> okay, very good question. Um, I mean, this might not be directly tied into today's study, but it's still a question I will, I'm happy to answer nonetheless. So when you, what do you do when you're standing on God's promises? That's you're holding on to the promises of God and then things don't seem to be adding up. You know, the Bible says, the Bible, that's what the Bible calls the, the fight of faith. The fight of faith obviously means there's a contention against your faith. That means there, there, there are things on the external that are contending against what you are believing God for. So, for instance, someone is believing God for healing or someone is believing God for um, something, you know, maybe material, maybe a new house or something like that. And then everything seems contrary to what you are believing God for. <clears throat> Let me say something that I heard a man of God say that is very true. If you don't give up, the devil will. And that is the whole essence of the, of the parable that Jesus Christ gave in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says that Jesus Christ gave this parable to the end that men ought always to pray and never to give up, or ought always to pray and never to faint. 
And in that analogy, the, the, the um, widow was persistent. And even though the, the judge in, in that um, parable didn't fear God, nor had regard for any man, however, because of persistency, the widow got her victory. So my, my answer to you is if you are trusting God for something and everything doesn't seem to be adding up, I will say continue to trust. The word of God never fails. As long as the promises you are holding on to were given to you as a revelation from God, then hold on to it until the, until the end. The Bible says in Revelation that he who endures to the end will be saved. So there's a requirement of staying power when trusting God for things. And time will fail me to give like examples and testimonies, but that requirement is certain. You cannot give up. You must be dogged in your faith about, about the promises of God. You can be looking at, <clears throat> at situations. In fact, let, let me, a testimony by, um, uh, my, my pastor shared a testimony, I think this was this morning, about um, uh, Pastor John Austin's wife, right? So that's the father of Joel Austin, or right, the mother of Joel Austin, that she had a, a terminal disease, I think it was cancer or so, and the doctors had diagnosed her that they said there was nothing to do. This woman went into prayer. God showed her from scriptures that she was going to be healed, and she held on to the scriptures, and from the scriptures, she got an instruction from God that said, live your life as normal or do what you normally would do as, as, if, as though you were healed. And she held on to this, even though she, she did not feel any better at that point. And for a long time, <clears throat> excuse me, for a long time, she didn't feel better, but she held on to the promise. And one day, she just discovered that it was gone. So my, my, the summary of my answer to this question is, you have to be persistent. As long as the promise is from God, it cannot fail. You have to be persistent. All right. I hope that helps you. Okay. Any other question or um, um, light bulb moments? What did you learn from today's conversation? I'm still looking at uh, Mixeller or Zoom. Anyone, please share what you learned from today's Bible study about the arm of God. Or if you have a question, really, just let me know. Um, so um, I was just thinking about what you said about, um, I think somebody else maybe typed it again or you read it out about um, being exposed. Yeah. Can you read that? Like really, really what the person wrote again out just to remember. Okay, sure. Um, so the person says, every exposed part of your armor makes mm -hmm. it vulnerable to the enemy. We have to put on the whole armor. Okay, so I, um, I guess, I guess, um, because I've I've struggled a lot with fear as a believer. Um, I, I, what usually helps me is rather than thinking about things from, from the place of fear, I, I like, I prefer to come from the perspective of victory, right? So when you say, um, you, if you don't put on the whole armor, you'll be vulnerable. Some parts, it's, at, my brain is, my mind is struggling. You get thinking, I'm, I'm so would I, can I really go about my life thinking, oh, what part of my, my way? Uh, 
I'm like vulnerable. You, you get you get what I'm saying. So I, I need you to sort of explain that a bit more. Is that is that a life application thing or you know when you say put on the whole armor? Like I get it, I get it. Like you have to wear the belt of salvation, wear the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the word, everything that makes you believe. I mean, you have to, will I say, walk in these things, you know. Um so, but but you, I don't know if this is a question or a comment, <laughs> but you get what I'm struggling with, right? Like, yeah, I'm just like, okay, do I start thinking what part of me is not like, I'd rather just do everything I can and then believe, believe that I'm victorious over, you know, the devil and his deceit and deception, you know, and walking, do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good, very good. Um, pointer right um good thing you pointed out here so of course this is not um this is not an attempt to instill fear in sense of you waking up and say oh my god did i wear the breastplate of righteousness today um did i wear the uh, what's called helmet of salvation no not at all this is not this is not the approach we have and when you read the, the scripture it says put on the whole armor so that you're able to stand against the wiles of the devil right so First and foremost, and and uh, this is already leading into what we're going to look at um, further down. Why I, I can just take bring it up now. So the first thing Paul mentions here, right, is the belt of truth, and the reason is because every other weapon or every other um, yeah every other um, every other part of the armor, right, directly or indirectly hinges on the belt of truth. Okay, and what that suggests to us is that revelation of or, or the knowledge of god's word becomes the basis for every other part of the armor and i would explain that fully when we dive into them one by one but just to point out now because you asked this question so what that means is or what putting on the armor means in plain terms is having the revelation or the consciousness of the various things listed out um so when he says the for instance the breastplate of righteousness all right what that means is the revelation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? Um, so there are two folds to that. Number one, the righteousness that he has given us freely. And number two, the outworking of that righteousness. Um, so it's not, it's, we're coming from a point of victory um, to even start with. We're not, we're not coming, we're not trying to be afraid. We are victorious and the armor is to help us preserve the victory that we already have in Christ Jesus, all right? Um, I don't know if that explains to you, but certainly not from a place of fear, and not from a place of thinking, um, did I put on the ammo today? Did I drop it off tomorrow? No, no, it's it's a, so remember it is the armor of God, right? Meaning it is as powerful as God is, but secondly, it is also spiritual. So it is not, you might not be, con you might not be actively thinking about, about the righteousness of God, right? But once the revelation is in your spirit, then you already have the ammo. I don't know if that helps. Yes, 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 it does. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Okay, I'll take one more, um, you know, question or suggestion, and then I hand over to Faith to help us wrap up today's uh, Bible study. So one more person wants to drop in what they've learned. Mixela, I really would love to hear from you guys. Um, 
So please drop in what's, even if someone has said it, yes, yeah, still, still type it in. I don't mind repeating it twice or more. Just let me know what you've learned today, or if you have a question, you can drop that in. And on Zoom as well, please, um, Zoom or Mixer, anyone. I was just spotlighting those of us on Mixer. One more person and we're done. One more person. Now the thing with is I can't see all the names. I would have called it out, but I guess I'll let that slide. Okay, so no comments then, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the, um, for the revelation of your word. We thank you for the truth that you have generously given unto us. We ask, Father, that this um, truth would continue to grow in our hearts as the seed that grows on a good soil in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we um, come back, you know, we meet, we meet next time, we have testimonies that affirm that your word is truth in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for answer prayers. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, over to you, Faith. Um, for announcements and the rest. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I'm not sure. Very audible. Um. What about now? Okay. Good evening, everyone. Yeah, this is better. Good evening. Yeah. So, um, is there anyone that's for the is there anyone on Zoom or Mixer? I don't think there's anyone. I'm not quite sure we heard you. Or probably just me. I was asking if there's anyone joining for the first time. And drop in the comment section or just um, use one of the reactions on Zoom and on Mixer. If there's anyone on Mixer joining us for the first time, um, no, none on Mixer. No one has indicated yet. Mixer. All right. Okay. Um. So for announcements. So we have um, prayer cluster groups still um, holding on different days. So if you've not joined any prayer cluster group, you can just reach out and register to join any of the groups from Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. Um, and you can also just share the flyers, flyers with your friends and family members. Bible study is Tuesday, 7, 7 p.m., yes. Okay, okay, Big Dad drops the prayer cluster group. You need to join the WhatsApp group so you can be updated with all the information. We'll also drop the link in the chat box. Yes. Okay. I think I think that that's it. Talked about the prayer cluster group, WhatsApp group. You can also join to get updated 
Um, okay, study notes. Study notes would also be ready as soon as we get them done, so we can post them on the WhatsApp group. That's another advantage of being on the WhatsApp group. You get study notes, so you can use the study notes to go over your own notes and just, you know, remind yourself of everything that we've talked about today. And you can also re um, listen to today's messages again on Spotify and on podcast. Yes. Okay, that, that, that's all. That'll be all for me. All right. Thank you so much, Faith, for that. Um, so yeah, it's a wrap for, for today. We will come back next week. And like I said, next week is prayer meeting. We typically dedicate the last Tuesday of the, of the month um, to just prayers. So I look forward to having everyone of us next week. All right. Goodbye, everyone. I will just stay online for like five minutes in case anyone wants to chat or say hi or anything. You know, but yeah, it's a wrap from, from here. Have a lovely evening or morning or whatever time it is where you are. God bless you and see you next week. Bye, everyone.